All right, why don't you uh, turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. I know I spent a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 5 not too long ago, uh, but we're going to go back there this morning in Jesus' name. Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the fact that miracles are here because you are here. Thank you that joy and hope is here because you are here. And now, Lord, we ask for your blessing upon your word today. We pray, Father, that uh, you would speak through me and that our hearts would be good ground. And may you be glorified as a result of what we hear and experience here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 15. The Bible says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning I want to share a message that I have entitled The Spirit-Filled Life. The Spirit-Filled Life. Now, some of you that may be attending this church, you do need to know that we are a church that believes in the Holy Ghost. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the present-day manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit wants to infill every believer who desires to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And so I pray that this morning, you know, since the beginning of the year, we've been encouraged to pursue the Lord. And I don't really know of anything more important, folks, that we can talk about. Some of you may say, well, Mark, you've mentioned pursuit of God plenty of times. Are we going to continue to hear this? And the answer is yes. And we should be hearing it from one another. We should be hearing it from one another. How's your pursuit? Are you pursuing God? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you spending time in the Word? Are you spending time in worship? Are you losing your desire for fellowship? Or is it rekindling in you? Are you sharing your faith? These should all be things that we are encouraging ourselves and encouraging one another to do. The Bible even says that as we see the last days coming, we should even increase our desire to encourage one another. The world's falling apart. We're in a, anytime there's a presidential election, the world's falling apart, isn't it? Anytime there's a presidential election, the world is falling apart. In 2016, the world ended and started all in that one year. And now in 2020, it's all going to come to another end and start again. It's, it just blows me away how every presidential election is when history starts. You ever notice that? History starts at every presidential election. It's like, you don't remember what the last guy did? <laughs> well, that's the other side of the aisle. Y'all did it when it was the other way around. You're going to hear this throughout the years. We strive to be a Jesus-pursuing church. I want us to be a Jesus-pursuing church. I want us to be a people who are pursuing God. But part of this pursuit, folks, is to recognize and to caution ourselves with what we are filling our lives up with. If we're going to pursue God, we talked, we talked uh, from Hebrews about the fact that there are Weights and sins that so easily beset us. And Paul actually makes a distinction between weights and sins, that there are things that beset us. And one of those things that beset us is what we're filling our lives with. Most of you guys 
There's a lot of us in here. We got a LFC fit crew because we're all fit. I ran a mile the other day. And just for your encouragement, I hated. I hated every minute of it. Every last minute of it. It was not a second I enjoyed it. But I did it anyway. And I'm going to do it again. Got to get fit. But those of you who are interested in exercise, who try to exercise, who try to keep yourself in shape, you know that if you're going to go out and run a 5K, the best idea is not to eat six hot dogs right before you go. So don't run one Wednesday evening. All right? It's probably not a good idea to fill yourself up with donuts. I mean, it's always a good idea to fill yourself up with donuts. But I'm saying, probably shouldn't do it if you're going to run a 5K. Am I right? I mean, you can eat the donuts today at night before, right? You've got to get that, that energy that lasts for, what, five minutes, right? Off a donut, that donut high. Some of you feel like David. I could run through a wall and, or run through a troop and leap over a wall after I ate a donut, right? But we all know that junk food is good. We all know it's good. Of course it's good. It tastes good. It makes us feel good, except for the guilt, Right? Most of us would enjoy junk food if it wasn't for all the fitness freaks that are judging us as they're standing there. <laughs> so if you're downstairs eating donuts, we're all in the corner. You know, it's like, uh, it's like Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, talks about. Nobody ever looks confident while they're standing in line in a Cinnabon. Right? You just stand there with your head down, you know. People walk by. I'm just in line for my friend. I'm, I'm just picking up a Cinnabon for my friend. Right? And they're so huge, aren't they? Those Cinnabons are huge. Jim Gaffigan's like, I don't know whether to eat it or sit in it. I think I'll sit in it and eat it. We know it's not good for it, or it, it tastes good, but the problem is it's not good for us. No matter how much we enjoy it, it's not good for us. And I, that's a lesson in life. You know, just because something makes us feel good doesn't mean it's good for us. You know, sin will make us feel good. But at the end, it bites like a poisonous snake, the Bible says. Right? The only, the only reward of sin is death. Right? So it, it might feel good, like junk food, but at the end, it's going to bite us. Right? It's going to come back to haunt us. One of the problems is, is that, uh, of many problems with junk food, is that junk food steals our appetite for things that are good for us. Right? That, that I think it's uh, uh, New Life, the radio station New Life, they have that thing about choices. And it's like donuts or broccoli. Some choices are easy, right? You know, anytime the kids hear that commercial, they're like, eh, broccoli, you know? How many of you know people that just are like, I don't like that, and you know they've never tried it? My kids do that all the time. I hate asparagus. You ever had it? No, but I hate it. <laughs> I love asparagus. Asparagus is one of my favorite vegetables. I love asparagus, but I've tried it, right? But the problem with junk food is, is that it steals our appetite. When you were growing up, mother or grandmother said, don't eat that cookie before dinner, because why? To spoil your appetite. It's going to spoil your appetite. I'm going to be honest with you. Cookie never spoiled my appetite. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it made me want another cookie, you know what I'm saying? It only stirred me up. It was an appetizer for another cookie. Ha <laughs> ha. But here's the thing about junk food. It can make us feel full, but unfortunately, we are full of empty calories. That's what they call it, empty calories. We fill ourselves up 
but we're filling ourselves up with empty calories and it steals our appetite. So even though it makes us feel good, we're really running on empty. It won't last long. So even though we feel full, we're actually empty. We feel like we have no more room for anything. But in reality, it's going to burn up really, really quickly. You're going to run out of steam. And the next thing you know, you're going to be hungry again. And what are you going to be hungry for? Junk food. Right? But we also know that many times it takes discipline. It takes discipline to eat well. It takes discipline to eat good food. But the thing about it is, is the more disciplined we come, and the more we eat what is good for us, the more we develop an appetite for what is good for us. You may not like broccoli, but try it. Put some cheese on it. (laughs) Try it. The more you eat certain kinds of food, the more your body actually starts wanting that food. And this is what we have to be careful about in our spiritual race. We need to always be mindful for what we are filling our hearts and minds up with. Because our spiritual lives, many times, or our soulish lives, our emotions, our mind, it gets attached to that which we fill ourselves with. And as we continue to fill ourselves with it, it continues to look for that in order to it to be satisfied. So if we're filling ourselves with junk from the world, then our mind continues to look for that in order to satisfy our hearts. But the world only offers empty calories. It only offers us temporary satisfaction. Hell and destruction, the Bible says, are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. If we don't, we know, first of all, that that the mind and the battleground for our souls takes place in our mind, right? We all know that. The enemy attacks us through thoughts, through our thought life, through what we are thinking. If we don't protect our thought lives, folks, we are destined for defeat. I don't care how many times you come to church and shout and scream and holler and lift your hands and have 14 people lay hands on you and cast out six demons. If you don't win the battle for your mind, eventually you're going to end up defeated. The Bible also commands us to guard and protect our hearts. Why? Because out of our hearts, the Bible says, comes the issues of life. Everything we do, everything we are, flows from our hearts. The heart is the core of our passions, our character, our integrity, and it is the voice of our conscience. So if we, if we want our hearts to continue to be sensitive to the things of God, then we have to be careful what we're feeding our minds and what we're feeding our hearts. We have to be careful that we guard the treasure that God has put within us. The Bible says we are jars of clay, earthen vessels that are treasuring the very presence of God. The Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are holy ground. The Spirit of God dwells on the inside of us and we should be protecting this holy, sacred place. Because the fact of the matter is, folks, if you want your life to look like the front yard of Sanford and Son's house, then all you got to do is to continue to fill your mind and your heart with junk. If you keep filling your mind and your heart with junk, then your life's going to look like junk. Because our lives look like what we fill ourselves with. Right? You are what you eat. You are what you think about. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, 
the mouth speaks. So what's that mean? Sooner or later, what we are full of is going to come out in how we live and how we talk. And if we find ourselves moving ever closer to worldly desires, worldly relationships, worldly worldviews, then we are allowing our mind and hearts to be filled with those things. If we are struggling to say no to fleshly desires, if we're struggling to say no to besetting sins, then we may not be protecting our mind. We may not be protecting our hearts. Now, there are all kinds of excuses for why we can't, right? We can have, I can give you all kinds of excuses for why we can't overcome sin. But the fact of the matter is, if we're not, if, if, if we find ourselves consistently struggling with sin, it might be because we're filling our minds and hearts with the wrong things. We are what we think, and we are what we treasure in our hearts. Because the Bible tells us that, that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, folks. It's where your heart is. I, I, it, it's, it's not hard. This is really not hard. If God is your treasure, then that's where your heart is. If the world is your treasure, then that's where your heart is. If fame or popularity or money is where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's not that hard. If we want to live a life, though, that pleases God and brings glory to His name, not only do we need to protect ourselves from those things that are trying to enter in and fill our lives, but we need to make sure that we're filling ourselves with the right things. It's not enough to just say no to junk food. Now we've got to fill ourselves with that which makes us healthy and strong and builds, builds us up. So if we're going to please God and live a life that brings glory to Him, folks, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we're going to passionately pursue God this year, then we should always, continuously, daily, be filled with the Spirit. For a matter of fact, the Spirit-filled life is what should define us as the people of God. I've said this many times from this pulpit, but I need you to understand. The one true mark of every follower of Jesus Christ is the fact that the Spirit of God lives on the inside of them. It is the heart and soul of our desperate pursuit of God and His purpose. The Holy Spirit is the fuel, the fire, the motor, the motivation, the energy that moves us towards God. Paul commands the Ephesian believers to be filled with the Spirit. The Greek phrase here, which I don't speak Greek. I wish I did, but I don't. I'm, I'm excited that I can uh, just, in Greek, pronounce the Greek freak's name. Y'all know the Greek freak? Praise Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Come on now. That's for my Wisconsin friends out there. Some of you are like, what's the translation? But the Greek phrase here means to continuously be filled. In other words, Paul is not talking about a one-time event. Now, what I also want you to notice here is that Paul's talking to believers. He's not talking to people that are outside the faith. He's talking to people who are already believers, which means he's talking to people who already have the Spirit. Every one of us in here, if you have been born again, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. You cannot be saved without the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you are not His. 
So when you get saved, the Spirit of God invades your life. You become the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the true mark of a follower of Jesus. So we have to recognize that Paul is talking to Spirit-filled, Spirit-sealed, Spirit-led people of God. And he still says, be filled with the Spirit. They're all like, Paul. Man, I just spoke in tongues a couple minutes ago. Who are you talking to, bro? Paul, I just raised my hands during worship and shivered a little bit. What are you talking about? Be filled with the Spirit. Huh? Some of us know how to run dashanda. Be filled, he says. I'm talking to Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, Spirit-sealed people. Be filled with the Spirit. What's this mean? We're not talking about a one-time event, folks. We're not talking about... Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe that being baptized in the Spirit is an event subsequent or following salvation. It's different than our conversion to Christ. Everyone who has been converted to Christ has the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. I do believe that God also wants to empower us with a special blessing that should be sought by all believers that we refer to as the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the baptism with the Holy Spirit, or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or the filling of the Spirit, whatever you want to call it. But I don't believe that being filled with the Spirit was ever meant to be a one-time event. I don't ever believe that it was meant for us to look back in our life and say, 22 years ago, I got filled with the Holy Ghost, and I've been doing it since. I don't know about you folks, but I'm going to eat lunch today, and I'm going to be hungry again by dinner. And probably before then. You got the snack, you got the the donut, Twix, the lunch, and the dinner. Right? We're going to be hungry again. Our Christian lives need to continually be filled with the Spirit. Some of us, many times, find ourselves living off old experiences with God. We mentioned that a couple weeks ago. We find ourselves living off the momentum of of a relationship that we had in the past. We find ourselves building off the momentum of some type of an experience that we had with God. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with looking back and saying, God was faithful. He showed up on such and such day. God showed up in my life and did a miracle. God showed up and helped me and strengthened me and got me through this situation. But church, we can't live in the past. We're not in the past. We need to have a fresh, new walk with God every day. Be filled with the Spirit. Our pursuit of God, folks, really the very definition of the pursuit of God is daily placing ourselves in the presence of God so that we can drink of the powerful, life-giving spirit that he gives. Let me put myself in the presence of God that I might drink of his spirit. Man, that might even sound somewhat foreign to some of us, but we have to recognize that this is the very definition of what it means to pursue God. Church, this is not about just emotionalism or God, make me feel good or, or God, give me a, a good service where I can cry or, uh, or, or something of that nature. Give me chill bumps. That's, that's not what this is about. This is about a supernatural encounter with God. This is not a cerebral thing where we are just making some type of decision in our head to act like we're spirit-filled. This is putting ourselves in the presence of God. And God, I don't want to leave until I drink of your spirit. 
Listen, the Christian life has always been meant to be a supernatural one. We don't always live that way, and I know that. I don't always live that way, and I know that. We all get over in our flesh. We all get over in our soulish realm. We all live off our emotions. But the Bible tells us that the Christian life has always been defined as a supernatural one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. <laughs> I don't know, it can't get any plainer than that. The kingdom of God doesn't consist in talk. It's power. 1 Corinthians, again, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? Why? So that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Man, it is not enough for me or anyone else to get up in this pulpit and articulate or communicate well some type of message if there is no power involved in it. Because your faith should not rest in any words that I speak. Your faith should rest in the power of God behind the words that are being spoken. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the Bible says, But you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The very infilling of the Spirit of God is one of power. And here's the thing, the early church knew what it meant to rely on the power of the Spirit in their lives. They expected the Holy Spirit to speak through them. They expected the Spirit of God to empower them to proclaim the gospel with boldness. They expected the Holy Spirit to manifest the power of God. They expected the Holy Spirit to convict the lost and bring them to the cross. Church, everything that the church has done that has made any impact in the world is because the church is filled with the Spirit. The only impact that will ever be made in this world is a church that is operating and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Programs are good, get-togethers are good, fellowships are good, but the only thing that can change the world is the working of the power of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of God's gospel in a world that desperately needs supernatural manifestations of God. We should always be a church that relies on the power of the Spirit. Because here's the thing, folks. If you are a Christian, your problem isn't that you lack the Holy Spirit. All believers, every believer is infilled with the Spirit of God when they give their lives to Christ. So it's not that we lack the Spirit. It's, It's not as though, you know, there's some people that feel like I'm not quite as saved as someone else. How many of you know there aren't degrees of salvation? I had a friend of mine who pastored a church in East Baltimore. And we were talking about his church. And he was telling me about people that attended his church. I won't get into any details. But anyway, he was telling me about all the decisions and life changes and things they were doing as a church. And I said, uh, is anybody in your church saved? And he said, uh, Mark, saved is a strong word. I'm like, it sure is. <laughs> sure is. It's a strong word. 
There's no half saved. There's no, and there's no half Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. Nor do you have a different Holy Spirit than what infilled the believers. Nor do you have a different Holy Spirit that Jesus promised would come in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It's the same Holy Spirit, church, that raised Christ from the dead. So it's not that we lack the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us if we are believers. That's a fact. That's a reality. That's not a theological thing that I have to try to convince myself of. That is fact. If you belong to Jesus, the Spirit of Christ lives in you. So it's not that we lack the Spirit, but what we do is we neglect Him. We depersonalize Him. We've made the Spirit just an it, a power, an influence, a feeling. The Holy Spirit is not an it, folks. He's not a thing. He's not the force. He is the third person of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Worthy of our surrender and worship and praise. And when we neglect or depersonalize Him to only an experience or a feeling, then we're missing out on what the Holy Spirit wants to do on us. Maybe we've even assumed that we can get along well enough under our own power. I can do it myself. I've got it all under control. I'm smart enough, wise enough. How many of you know that's why most of us end up in a mess? Because we thought we were smart enough. We may even be grieving the Holy Spirit because of unrepentant sin or because of disobedience in our lives. If we resist His gifts, then we quench His fire. Whether we resist His gifts out of fear or out of ignorance or whether we resist His gifts because we've been taught differently all our lives and we can't open our hearts up to know that maybe the Spirit of God actually wants to use us in supernatural gifts. Whatever the reason is, we're quenching His fire. So it's not that we have a lack of the Holy Spirit, but we may be depersonalizing Him, neglecting Him, resisting Him, quenching the Spirit of God in our lives. What do we need? We need the Spirit to energize our hearts. We need the Spirit to awaken our sleeping, slumbering souls. We need the Spirit of God to empower our will. Because Jesus said, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So our wills are weak many times, and so we need the Spirit of God to empower our will. To set us on fire yet again. In our affections, our desires, our passions for God. To enlighten our minds so that we may again see the beauty of the pursuit of God. The wonder and the awe of Jesus Christ. And we need the Holy Spirit in our lives to give us boldness and courage. So that we can conquer our fears, conquer our doubts, conquer our uncertainties. So that we can open our mouths and proclaim the gospel. I believe that our lifestyles help us share our faith. But we are deceiving ourselves if we think that we don't ever have to open our mouths to share our faith. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Three things I want to mention really quickly. Number one, it means that we are filled with power. And we just talked about this a little bit, but I want you to recognize what this is. The power is literally the promise of the filling of the Spirit. We can talk a lot about signs of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But what Jesus said was the number one sign that you've been filled with the Spirit is that you walk in power. 
you walk in power. Power what? Power, first of all, to walk in holiness over sin. Sometimes we forget that. You know, I've been around charismatic Pentecostal circles for a long time. And I, I recognize and know uh, that, that we do get excited about supernatural gifts. I've seen supernatural gifts in operation. I've seen people get it wrong. I've seen people get it right. You know, I've seen people who you can tell are flowing in the spirit. I've seen people that you can tell are just putting on a show. And that's the danger of being in Pentecostal charismatic circles is that many times it can only become a show. But what happens is is that you have someone who's able to operate in the gift of the Spirit and then everybody is just enthralled with what they do, but behind the scenes there's cracks in their character. Their integrity is falling apart. And as far as I'm concerned, the most important thing about us is not whether or not that you can operate in a word of knowledge, but whether or not your heart is pursuing the holiness of God. So be careful of anyone who calls themselves powerful but does not walk in holiness. The power of God comes to give us strength over sin. To give us strength over pride and selfishness. The Holy Spirit came first, folks, to make us holy. That's why he's called Holy Spirit. It's power to walk in holiness over sin. It's power to be used by supernatural gifts for ministry and service. There are nine gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I don't even believe that's an exhaustive list. But it does give us gifts of of the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom, the gift of faith, miracles, healings, tongues, interpretation, prophecy. These are all gifts of the Spirit that God wants to use us in supernaturally. And when the power of God rests on us, when we are filled with the Spirit of God, then the Bible says that God moves as He wills to use us in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There is a supernatural realm that many of us have yet to ever tap into that we should not be afraid to pursue. The Bible says to covet earnestly the best gifts. It's power to walk in supernatural gifts for ministry, but it's also power to be a witness. That's the one thing, the main thing that was attached to that promise in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Don't go anywhere. In Luke chapter 24, he said, Terry, you stay in Jerusalem until what? You be endued, clothed with power from on high. Why? Because you will be my witness. The indwelling power of the Holy Spirit turns us into witnesses for Jesus Christ. It is his spirit that encourages us, strengthens us, brings back to remembrance what his word says, and helps us love people. And that's what number two is. We're filled with power, and number two, we're filled with love. The presence of the Spirit in our lives will always be marked by a greater love for God and a greater love for those we have been called to serve. You know, folks, if we start looking at people as people that Jesus died for, it will actually change the way we treat them. It will change the way we handle them. You know, I am... I am a basketball coach of a third-grade all-star team that is now one and eight. Set one and seven. I don't want to sell a short. One and seven. I'm already thinking about the game today. It'd be one and eight. If we... And you know, there are times. There are times. You know, you get in the heat of the moment. I had a parent that texted me today and said, "Hey, my kid's not going to make it. He's sick." You know. 
And uh, you know, I said, put Gatorade in him and tell him to suck it up. We've got to have him. You know, we've got to get him there. But no, my, my statement was, it's no problem. It's just basketball, right? It's just basketball. But you know, when the game's going on, it's not just basketball. When the game's happening, it's not just basketball. You're screaming and yelling. Our arms are going everywhere. You're clapping and kids are falling on the ground. Basketballs are flying. You're in the heat of the moment. You hate the coach beside you. You hate the refs. But you know what? When you stop and just remember and look at people as Christ looks at them, and this is what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God literally changes how you view the world. The, the filling of the Spirit will literally change how you react and respond to people. I'm going to be honest with you. We can talk about tongues being a sign of the filling of the Spirit, but I believe that the greatest sign is that you walk in love. It is the fruit of the Spirit, love. It is what defines us as the people of God, love. Being filled with the Spirit ignites a love, not only for God, but it ignites a love in our hearts for the Word of God. We can't love God and not love His Word. So it ignites a fire in our hearts. Folks, if you are wondering why you don't have a desire to read the Bible, get filled with the Spirit, because the Spirit will lead you right to the Bible. He'll lead you right to the Word of God. It ignites a love in our hearts for the Word, and it turns our hearts away from the love of the things of the world and the desires of the flesh. When the Spirit of God is in our hearts, we find ourselves cutting off things in our lives a whole lot easier because they don't satisfy us anymore. I don't find myself lusting for that good-looking celebrity or, or whatever we're seeing on our, on, our web, on our webpage or whatever we're seeing at the movies because our hearts are now being satisfied by the holiness and the purity of God. It cuts off that desire to pursue the things of the world to satisfy us because we found our satisfaction in the infilling of the Spirit of God in our lives. Being Spirit-filled will always produce, always produce a deep adoration in our hearts for the beauty of who God is. When we are Spirit-filled, the worship team does not have to sit up here and prod us to worship because we are enthralled with the beauty and the wonder of who God is. Sing me another one! I'm enthralled with the beauty of who God is. And being spirit-filled will always cause us to see others the way God sees them. So spirit-filled life is one of power and it's one of love. And finally, it's one filled with joy. Joy is the fruit of the spirit, just as love is. Joy is not something that should have to be worked up in us. In his presence, the Bible says, there is fullness of joy. So the indwelling spirit fills us with God-based joy. Our joy is rooted in God. He becomes the source of our joy, the source of our smile, the source of our laughter. He becomes the source of our hope, a joy that is not determined by our circumstances, but a joy that is determined by the unchanging, unwavering, unfailing nature of a God who is for us and not against us. A joy that allows me to get up every morning and say, gosh, I might not like my job, but I love God. I may not like what I've got to face today, but if God be for me, who can be against me? I may not like the fact that there's stress and pressure in my life, but I know that there's a God who's on my side, that His strength is mine because the joy of the Lord is my strength. 
and it's going to help me face each day with hope, as we talked about in Romans chapter 15, that when he fills me with joy, I can face each day with hope. My tomorrow does not have to be worse than my today because I know that God is working with me and for me and working in my behalf. I am filled with the Spirit of God. I am a Spirit-led, Spirit-sealed a man of God, and I recognize that his purpose will be fulfilled in my life. That brings joy that the Bible says is unspeakable and full of glory. What's it mean to be spirit-filled? Filled with power, filled with love, filled with joy. Now, I want to close by saying this. Notice in this passage of Scripture that Paul compared the filling of the Spirit with being drunk with wine. His obvious comparison is between what the world would use to make them feel good and what God has to offer. I'm not here to preach a sermon against alcohol. If somebody had a glass of wine this week, you're not going to hell. But the Bible does compare drunkenness with being filled with the Spirit. And there is a difference between having a glass of wine and being drunk. So if you were drunk, that's a different story. It compares drunkenness with being filled with the Spirit. And we all know, some of you may have done it. Some of you are still doing it. We may know people that will turn to drunkenness in order to have a good time or even to help them get through the stress of life. You know, there's people that are like, ah, people just like me better when I'm drunk. Well, maybe you just need to work on yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'm nicer when I'm drunk. Well, maybe you just need to be nicer when you're not drunk. Right? So what's Paul doing? He's saying, instead of turning to drunkenness, won't you try the Spirit instead? And it's not just drunkenness, I believe, that Paul's really saying. He's, instead of turning to what satisfies the flesh, turning to worldly things to satisfy us. I mean, it could be food. I like eating. There's some of us that when we get in stressful situations, we've got to make a run to Kroger. Come on now. Right? When the stress level goes up and there's no more ice cream, <laughs> got to make a run. Instead of trying that, why don't you try the Holy Spirit? What's he saying? Be intoxicated with God. Holy cow. Be intoxicated with God. When's the last time we were intoxicated with God? What's that mean? Are we so full of God? That we're overflowing with the love and joy of Jesus. That people see it splashing out of us. Overflowing to the point that we are speaking and singing songs, the Bible says, to each other. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. So overflowing that we're just walking around the house singing. Is our heart making melody to the Lord with deep thanksgiving, deep Praise because we are intoxicated with, with God. And the Bible says, Paul says that this is what is considered walking wisely. This is what is considered redeeming the time. This is what is considered understanding what the will of God is. If you want to know what the will of God is for your life, it is to be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And I want everybody to know here as I close, this promise to be filled, is meant for every believer. And we cannot allow ourselves to stop in this pursuit of being daily filled with the Holy Spirit. So let us remember 
how much we need the Holy Spirit in our lives and make it Him our life's treasure. To make our number one pursuit to be filled with who He is. God, if it's leaking out of my life, God, if my passion is leaking out, if my fire is going out, if my desire for your word is, is going down, if my worship has become dead, if I feel my heart being drawn by the world, if I am continuously struggling with lust and pride and selfishness, our prayer today, God, is fill us with your spirit. With our heads continued, bow in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to just consider here this morning, what is the treasure of your heart? What is it that you are pursuing? Who is it that you are pursuing? What is it that you are looking for to satisfy your life? What is it that you're relying on to get you through stress and anxiety and uncertainty? If the answer is not the Holy Spirit, then I'm asking you, consider the Spirit of God here this morning. There are some of us in here today, I just really feel in my heart, 2020 has got to be a year that you wake up. There are some of you in here, you are going in the wrong direction. You may not even see it yet, but your foot has slightly got off the path. Something has distracted you. Whether it's the things of the world or a relationship, a job whether it's other things in your life that you are committed to, sports, hobbies, exercise. There's all kinds of things that can beset us and get in our way. None of them necessarily even have to be sin. But they get in our way. And our foot is slightly turned. And you're going in the wrong direction right now. And you don't even recognize it. The Spirit of God is speaking to your heart. Don't let another day pass going in the wrong direction. There are some of you in here that are farther away from God than you've ever been in your life. And God is calling to you today. Make no mistake about it, time is short. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity is what God warns us.